glad each and every one of you are here today. So glad that you came to worship with us at the Bridge Goldsboro. Uh, we have been in a series called Church Is, and then there's a little blank beside that. And the reason for the blank is, is you insert your stereotype here. Uh, there's a lot of stereotypes, there's a lot of labels that people have kind of put on the church. Um, and so we've been taking this, this time during this series and going through them and taking an honest look at them, uh, a biblical look at them, and also kind of being honest with ourselves, knowing that some of you have probably said those things, um, maybe you've heard them, but the honest look is, hey, maybe the church in some ways has earned some of these stereotypes. Uh, and so today, we're going to be tackling the stereotype that church is boring, that church is irrelevant. And, and that's a stereotype that a lot of people have in the community. So we, we want to tackle it. Um, in fact, it was kind of funny when I was sending my notes over to the media guys uh, last week to put on the app, the subject of my email was, here's my boring and irrelevant notes. And so they got a kick out of that. Uh, but there, there's two big thoughts I kind of want to throw at you just really quick right out of the gate. Can I give you something heavy right out of the gate? It, it, the church is boring. Church is irrelevant. It blows my mind to think that the God of the universe sent his son to die for something that's irrelevant. It blows my mind. I mean, I wouldn't even walk to the mailbox if I knew there was no mail in there. That, that would be, be pointless. So to think that the God of the universe sent his only son for something that doesn't matter. That just blows me away. But, but here's, here's where I kind of own it a little bit. I, I think that people, human beings, have the ability to take something that God made to be the most relevant thing in human history and twist it and make it about man-made traditions, and that's boring. I don't think that the church is irrelevant. I think that the cheap man-made copy is boring and irrelevant. That's boring. Have, have you ever been bored? Can we talk about being bored for a minute? I don't know how many of you have ever had this happen to you when you were a kid, but my mom loved to do crafts. She loved to sew. She loved to, you know, sew things together. And so she would take frequent trips to the fabric store. And uh, I used to have a time going with her to the fabric store when I was a little kid. Um, and, and I think going to the fabric store, there, there comes along with that a prerequisite that says you can't know what you need before you go in there. <laughs> you, you have to go in and you have to spend... I think days in the fabric store, and the reason why I think that is because we go in one day, and I swear we'd come out a different day. I mean, I'm talking about the kind of boredom, and I don't know if any of you remember this as, as a kid, but you go in, and before you know it, man, so much time has gone by, you're lying down in the floor, like just staring at the ceiling, praying, wishing that we could just go anywhere but here. I mean, even if we could just change aisles, I mean, I think we would get somewhere. And, and I, I, if, as I've gotten older, I begin to realize that, you know, being bored isn't about a particular set of circumstances. Being bored is when the specifics of those circumstances are irrelevant to you. One time in particular at the fabric store, because I went several times, uh, one of the people that worked there noticed how deprived I was of a quality life. And... They looked at my mom and they said, would you mind if I gave him some chocolate, some candy? We keep some candy behind the counter and, and for the kids that come in here. And I, I jumped up. Why? Because the circumstances just became relevant to me. <laughs> they just became relevant to me. Why? Because relevancy isn't determined merely by your current circumstances. Relevancy is determined when your needs are met. And you need to hear that. Something being relevant to you is not about where you are at any particular time, your circumstances. Something being relevant to you has everything to do with whether your needs 
are met or not. And a lot of you have been coming here for a while. You've been coming you know, to the church service. And after some time, uh, I've been in ministry 17 years, and I've seen this time and time and time again. People, they, they want to make a change. They begin coming to church services, and, and they kind of stop there. And after some time goes by, you know, things kind of get redundant. We come here, we kind of do the same things. And, and after a while, people start to ask the question, either out loud or internally, is this all there is? Is there something more to church besides just just coming here, just doing the Sunday thing again? And maybe you're somebody who would say, you know, the church is great and everything, um, but, you know, I, I, I like it, but I just, I don't know how relevant it is to my real life. And when I hear that, I, I immediately have the question, maybe you're settling for a church service and you're not getting connected to the church on a deep enough level to actually meet your needs. And so, therefore, the church continually becomes irrelevant to you. Irrelevancy is reversed when your needs are being met. And so today, I want to talk about four deep needs that we all have as human beings that the church is designed and structured to meet. Not that we did anything in this generation to do that. This is something that God did a long time ago, whenever he came and died for his church and he set it up. Okay? So, again, irrelevancy is reversed when your needs are being met. And I want to talk to you about four needs that we all have as human beings and how the church is designed and structured to be able to meet those needs. You ready? Let's jump in. Everybody say number one. Number one, we all have a need as human beings for support. We have a need to be supported as human beings. We have a need to be supported when things are going well. Uh, we have that need to go share success with somebody else. When, when we you know, uh, have a promotion at work, First thing you want to do is go tell somebody, somebody that's close to you to, to support you in that. Or maybe you're getting married and, and that phone call and you're telling somebody, man, I'm getting married or, or hey, girlfriend, I'm getting married. That was a bad uh, illustration. Um, you have this need or maybe grandparents, I have my first grandchild. Let me show you a, let me show you a picture. And, and back in the day, you'd pull out your wallet and, you know, the little thing and you got all these grandkids um, but now it's a phone and you pull it out and you're, hey, swipe left, you know, and you're, you're swiping and you're seeing the grandkids. Uh, but we, we have this natural need when we have success to share it. One of the most exciting times of my life was when uh, I, I got to tell my brothers I'm having a baby, I'm having a son. Um, and when you're able to share successes, it meets a need in your life to be supported. Another time that we need support in life is when things are, aren't going so well. When things are kind of turning south, they're going badly, we need that support because we need someone to share the load with us. We need support when things are going bad because sometimes we, we need an outlet. We need to talk something through. We need to get advice from somebody else. And without that support, we're, we're kind of like a, we're spinning and with, with no, no success. We're just kind of spinning around without any goals being met. Uh, one of the best ways you're supported is by somebody telling you that they care. Whenever you're having a bad time, whenever life is kind of turned upside down, and, and one of the best things anybody could ever do for you is to say, you know what, I care about you and I'm here. That's one of the best things. A few years ago, I, I went through a divorce. It was one of the most difficult and trying times of my life. Um, I, I would say by far the most difficult. And I had a, a small circle of people, my family, a few close friends that really kind of supported me physically. Um, but there was people all the time. I can't count the amount of people that will come to me and say, you know what, I'm here for you. And if you ever need anything, call me. If you ever need anything, call me. I'm here. I'm praying for you over and over and over. And, and here's the thing. I never called 90 
6.2% of those people. Never did. But just knowing that they were there for me when things got really bad, just knowing that I had a support network made all the difference. One of the best things you can do for anybody that's going through a bad time is just say, you know what? I'm here for you. And if you need anything, you call me. I'll be praying for you. It takes five seconds and a heart that means it, and you walk away. And whether or not they ever call you, you've just given them a support that they could never replace. You've just, you've just given them something that is so solid that, that it's, it's hard to beat that. Because when they get in the worst times of their life, they feel supported by you. Just, just by knowing that you're there and that you're available, even if they never call you. Now, we read in the Bible, in Acts, where the church was set up to support each other. How? Well, we, we read what they did. We read in the very beginning, when the first church ever you know, started, we read what they did. And all throughout the New Testament, we read these, this thread of how it is that the church was supposed to function supporting each other. But what, we're, we're going to read uh, the verses in Acts chapter 2 um, when the church first started. And this is what it says in verse 46 and 47. It says, the believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes. They were happy to share their food with joyful hearts. And they praised God, and they were liked by all the people. Every day the Lord added to those who were being saved to the group of believers. Now, I just want you to listen <laughs> to some of these words that are in here. And, and the words that were used to describe this church, they, they met together. It says that they ate together in homes. It wasn't just about coming together corporately. They actually splintered off into smaller groups of people. There was something about that small group that was, that was supplying some needs. It says that they were happy, they shared, they had joyful hearts. It says that they were believers and they, were, they praised God. It said they had favor by all the people. They, they were doing something as a church, and, and Jesus' words came true. He said, if you want people to understand that you're mine, love each other. Everybody was seeing this church do that, and that the, they were doing something that gave them favor with all the people around them. And it says that because of that, God was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. There was this massive support effort in and of the first church that was happening, and everybody had that need of support being met. Now, how does that happen today? I'm going to tell you how. Two things, serve teams and bridge groups. That, that's how we meet that need here. That's how we meet the need of support. Without getting involved on, on a deeper level than just coming to church services, um, then your need for support will be limited. A bridge group, a serve team, or, or just simply making an effort to do life with Christians that believe like you do, that you can get together outside of this church building. Can, can I tell you a soft truth? And this one kind of hit me between the eyes, and I, I just want to tell you as your pastor in love, if you limit yourself and your Christian activity to church services, then that description of the church that we just read in Acts will never apply to you. Not with the weight that, that it was intended to. The church services here are engaging, the church services here are popular, but your need to be supported will be limited. But what would happen if you broke out of the what-if box? Because that's typically what we do whenever we talk about getting involved deeper than just, just coming here and be kind of, kind of remaining anonymous, is what if? What if? What if they don't like me? Or what if I don't like them? Or, or what if I, I change things? Or what if they take all my time? Or what if, what if I don't know enough about Christianity? And it's embarrassing because here are all these great Christians and I'm kind of just starting. What if, what if, what if? Let me, let me throw another what if at you. What if your needs were met and it was the best decision you ever made? What if that? 
There, there was a woman who joined a serve team a while back, and the serve team, it, it wasn't just about serving. We have a value here um, amongst our leadership circles, and that's we, we don't just value what people bring to the team. We value the person. And so the serve team is designed to actually do life outside of uh, outside of just simply serving. And so this serve team, they hung out together. They did things together. They built relationships. And later on, when this particular woman went through a hard time, when she started battling a sickness, a long-term sickness, guess who was there to support her? Some of the people on the serve team. We had a bridge group last semester that had a need come into their, their bridge group where there was a, a family that was in need, and they worked together. Not only did they pray together, but they worked together through our, our avenues that we have at the bridge to help this family have a merrier Christmas. What happened? People are being supported. Was it in here, in this church service, in these four walls? No. It was happening in smaller groups of people where, where the need to be supported was truly met. Pastor Jim tells a story about uh, going into the hospital room one day to visit somebody, and when he got in there, there were several people gathered around the bed holding hands, and they were praying, and he thought it was the family at first, and he just kind of sat back and waited for everybody to get done, and when they did, as he got closer, he realized it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the biological family, it was the spiritual family, it was that person's bridge group, <laughs> and they had come to support this person that was in the hospital, and at first, kind of on the inside, he started having this conversation with himself like, hey, I'm, I'm the pastor, don't they need me? You know, and then he began to realize real quick that, you know what, this group is functioning just like they were supposed to, meeting the needs of the people in their group, meeting that need of support in a good time or a bad time. And so he stayed for a few minutes and talked, and then he kind of excused himself and let the church do what the church was supposed to do. You, you have a need to be supported. It, it's not an option. You have a need. And the church is relevant today because it's designed to meet that need. So don't waste it. Get involved on a serve team. Get involved in a bridge group. I mean, I'm, I'm not here just to promote bridge stuff. If anything else, as a human being, get involved with Christians. Get involved in life with people that believe like you. And start pouring yourself into them and start opening your heart and allowing people to pour into you. Be what the church was meant to be when, when Jesus came and died for it. One of those things was a need to be supported. Everybody say number two. You have a need for stability. You have a need for stability. Uh, Alvin Toffler, he was a best-selling author. He wrote this. Everyone needs islands of security in a rapidly changing society. Things that don't change. Principles that stay the same. Something that you can rely on. At a basic core level in every single one of us as human beings, we have a need for stability. And the challenge uh, with that is that we live in a world where our own lives and the lives of those around us change constantly. Sometimes our need for stability causes us to gravitate towards an unhealthy solution called personal control. And, and, and it's, it, it looks like stability, but it's not. And what happens typically is we begin putting, we, we, we have all this change happening in our lives, and we begin putting fences around us of personal control so that we can kind of control things and avoid change. Sometimes healthy change. And the reality, if we can just grasp this, I think the, the first step in understanding uh, what the solution is of our need for stability, the first step is understanding that things are going to change and there's nothing that you can do about it. If I could open up your future, if I was the Holy Spirit, I'm not, but if I was, I could open up your future and, I, and if I could show you a year from now where you're going to be and a year from now what you're going to be getting into, it would blow your mind. Some of it may be predictable. You go, oh yeah, well, I could see myself doing that. I've been working towards that. But other parts of it would just completely blow you away. You'd be like, no way. 
I would never do that. <laughs> I would have never started that journey if, I'd have, if I had known. But this, it ends up being one of the most fulfilling things you could have done. But change is, change is inevitable. There are seasons of our lives where one thing ends and another thing begins. Uh, your status in society can, can change. Job security is a misnomer. Many of you know that you're, you're in a career field now that maybe you didn't think you would be in, but something happened along the way. Something, something changed. Houses, guess what? Hurricanes come and houses flood. Some houses burn down. We have lots of organizations in the community that, that see these very real things happen on a weekly basis, and, and new houses are built, and new lives are built. Then there's people in your life. There are friends. There are some family sometimes that they come into your life at certain times, and then they, and then they go. And some of these changes, they, they feel healthy. They feel natural. And other change in our life, it feels so unbearable that we can hardly stand the pain. It, it feels like we, we can't do it. It's difficult, and it's hard. But the reality is, is change is what seems to be more constant in a world where we want and we need stability. And we need to understand that. Before we ever try to latch on to something and there's a solution of stability, we have to understand that we live in a world that changes. And so where do we find the stability? Now, let me tell you, the need for stability is not met in personal control. The need for stability, it, it happens in your life. The solution comes into your life when you learn to hold on to something that's constant in the middle of change. Let me say that again. Stability in your life, that need will be met when you not make change stop, but it's when you learn to hold on to the constant in the middle of change. Now, here's why the church meets that need, because the leader of the church never changes. His name is Jesus Christ, and Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he is the same forever. The leader of the church never changes. James 1, 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change. Like shifting shadows, he stays the same. But guess who does change in life? We do. The people around us change. And even when we change, even when we take a, a, a wrong turn, even when we, we kind of take a wrong turn in life, 2 Timothy 2.13 says that even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He's a God that doesn't change. And guess what? Because he's a God that doesn't change, his word never changes. And so if you ever get into a time of life where you're wondering what you should do or what, what principles you should adhere to or what voice you should listen to, understand God is a God that doesn't change, and so his word never changes. And you can latch on to his word. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says that the grass, it withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And he's not a God that's just merely stable in the English sense of the word, but he's a rock that doesn't move. And when you come down to the nitty-gritty of your life and you try to hang your hopes on something and try to meet that need for stability that you have down deep inside of you, the church is designed to meet that need because the leader of it, Jesus Christ, does not change. And when the church functions according to that, we become a, a people that's just as solid and we meet our human need for stability. Now, it's interesting because the way in which we do that, it, it really kind of doesn't make sense to our human self. We're going to read it. And it's kind of unpopular in a way. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, let me, let me read it to you. Read along. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, he gave us the prophets, he gave us evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So he gave us all these people. Why? To equip his people for works of service. 
I'm not going to camp out there, but I'll tell you, if you're a part of this church, then your whole purpose is to get involved and to serve somewhere. That's the whole purpose. Listen, here's why. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants. Listen, this is the result. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. He says that when the church serves each other, a path is paved to maturity, and it leads us to stability. We, we live in a, a world today where a, a recent poll said that 75% of people don't believe in absolute truth anymore. It, now it's more like, this is your truth, and this is my truth, and, and that's their truth over there. And as long as we don't infringe on each other's truths, and we can all get along in harmony. And, and I, I just got to say, I think that's one of the big reasons why we're living in a day and age where parents and kids, they don't know what's right or wrong anymore. It's just everything under the sun is just floating in and out. But God's word, it absolutely never changes. And the Bible says that when we adhere to it, and when we, 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 we not try to find personal control, which, by the way, is, is self-serving. I can find my own truth because it's, it's mine, and I can wrap my brain around it. But that changes because you change. You're a human being. But when we, when we latch on to the word of God that never changes, this verse says that we have this, this knowledge of the Son of God. It leads to maturity, and we're all doing this together, serving each other. And then it gets to the point where it, it paves a path to stability. And we reach unity in the faith. We're no longer infants, like just tossed here and there, subject to every wind and doctrine and teaching. But there's something down deep in us that we can walk through this life and say, you know what? I don't know a lot about everything that's going on, but let me tell you what I know. Way down deep inside of me, I have a rock that I'm standing on. Come hell, come high water, come circumstances in life, bring it. It may rock me to the core physically, but you know what? Maybe emotionally, but spiritually way down deep, I know where I stand because I serve a God that doesn't change. I serve a God that is for me, and I have his word inside of me that never changes. You have a need for stability, and Jesus Christ, the leader of the church, meets that need. Everybody say number three. Number three is self-expression. You have a need to express yourself. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 14. Uh, he says, I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. What you have done is wonderful. Now, be honest. How many of you said that looking in the mirror today? You have made me in an amazing hair everywhere. Amazing and wonderful way. No makeup on. You, 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 what you have done here is wonderful. Guys, no shirt on, trying to flex your muscles. You, what you have done is wonderful. Be honest. Who did that? We, we don't typically do that, but we have to understand that we have been made with unique talents, unique gifts. God, he, he had intricate detail in mind when he fashioned you. That's the word of God. That's not my opinion. That's not me trying just to encourage you to be nice. That's God's word. He made you uniquely. He designed you with detail, and you were made with certain talents, certain abilities, certain passions inside of you, and you get filled up, and a need is met in your life when you're able to express those things. Now, it may or may not be what you do for a living. I, I know uh, somebody that works at the bank, and they love to sing. It's a passion they have inside of them, and when they're able to, to express that through a given outlet, man, it fills a need in them like no other. You, you may be a retired vet, and you love to get involved in woodworking. And there's something that happens when you're able to go out into the shop and get sawdust all over you. It's like it fulfills a need down deep inside of you. 
Uh, one of the coolest moments that I ever had when it comes to this particular thing was a worship pastor. Uh, I was a worship pastor years ago, and I was at rehearsal one night, and I was kind of looking around the platform. We were all kind of playing, and it, my eyes just kind of got open to the diversity of the team. I, I, just want, I, I want you to listen to who was there. There was a nurse, a real estate agent, and an office manager that was singing. There was a computer repair guy uh, who was playing bass. There was an oil company warehouse manager that was running sound. Uh, one of the college kids was, was doing the media. There was a customer service specialist for a big technology company that was playing keyboards. There was an electrician uh, who was playing guitar. He was actually studying to be licensed. Uh, an A-10 pilot was playing the drums. And a train conductor named Virgil was playing the tenor saxophone. Virgil was about 58 or something like that. The diversity on our team amazed me. And Virgil came into rehearsal one night, and he looked like he had had a day. If you know what I mean? Not just like emotionally. Like his face looked like it. His body looked like he had been beat up and then beat up again. And then he came to practice. And I was like, man, Virgil, I said, how, how are you doing? And he was a character. And he said, well, I don't know. He said, but when my butt gets here in 10 minutes and catches up with the rest of my body, I'll let you know. And it just amazed me that, you know what, we all have different things that we're doing in life. We all have different trades, but we all come together in a room like this. And something inside of us is fulfilled. It was a need that we all have to express ourselves. And when we come together, we're leading others in worship through music, and we're able to express these passions. We're able to express these talents and unique abilities that God has given us. And it fulfilled a need in them, a need that they can't get anywhere else. And I want you to know that around here, the church provides opportunities, all kinds of opportunities, for you to express your talent, for you to express your ability, for you to express the passions that you have. A long time ago in churches, uh, if, if, you didn't, if you didn't sing or play an instrument, you couldn't do anything in church. That is not the case. We work hard to provide opportunities so that you can express yourself as a part of this church. Some of you are good at fixing things. You just kind of have a, a, a handyman personality. Uh, did you know we have a facilities team here that helps take care of the needs of our building? Maybe you love to paint. We have a bridge group that that's what they do. They express their passion and their, their talent through painting. Um, it's fun. I, I actually had some people that are in other bridge groups, but they love to come and be a part of that, of that bridge group as well because they love to paint. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're good with technology. Pastor Gage has so many different types of, of avenues to get involved in technology here. You would be amazed. A lot of it has to do with the church service. Some of it doesn't. There are more than enough opportunities for you to get involved here, to express yourself through the talents, through the passions, through the abilities that God gave you. And his word says, you know what? That's how we actually become stable. That is when we serve each other. It's amazing how these needs kind of, kind of overlap with one another. We serve each other, we attain the full measure of Christ, we become mature and complete, we reach stability, and on top of that, we fulfill a need in ourselves to be self-expressing with the gifts and talents that God's given us. God didn't give you those things to bottle them up, but when he gave you those talents, when he gave you that passion down deep inside of you, along with that, he gave you a need to express them, to have an outlet. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, Paul instructs us. He says, just like there's many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. He says, we're all part of it, and it takes every single one of us to make it complete, for we each have a different work to do, and so we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. God has given us the ability to do certain things well, and that's true for you 
and it's true for every single person. You have a need for self-expression, and the church is designed to fulfill it. Church is relevant. Everybody say number four. Number four is this, significance. You have a need to be and to do something significant in this life. And that's not just cliche. We all have a need to make life count. We all have this need to know that we're not just taking up space in this life, that we're not just here to make money, to retire, and one day die. Everyone's heard the term midlife crisis, have you not? Midlife crisis. And typically what a midlife crisis is, is we, we get to a place, middle or so of life, and, and we start to evaluate ourselves. Are we doing something that really counts? And we, we typically look at what our goals were in life and what we've actually achieved. Uh, we'll, f- we'll try to figure out what our purpose really is, and it's different for men and women. They kind of look through a couple different lenses. But really what we're asking ourselves during that time is, is am I doing something that counts? Is my life on purpose? Am I doing something that is significant? And there was an author that wrote a book about midlife crisis. He got middle-aged. He realized that everything he had done, everything he had worked for was pointless. It had no lasting significance. And he decided that his life was empty. And the author was Solomon, and the book was Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Now, it's interesting. Solomon was a king. Solomon was the wisest man during that time on earth who lived. He, was, he had all the resources ever. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11. He says, but I looked at all that I had done and what I had worked so hard to achieve, and suddenly I realized it was useless, like a chasing after the wind. There's nothing to gain from anything that we do here on earth. This was a man who had limitless supply, who had all the time. He had all the smarts to be able to pull off any initiative. But he realized it was a tragedy that he had given his first-class allegiance to a second-class cause. The reason is because there's a difference between success and significance. Earthly success ends when you die. Significance lasts long after. You, You work so hard to make things happen, so hard to build certain things, so hard to achieve these goals in life, so hard to reach these numbers, so hard to get this bank account so you can be situated and that your kids can be situated and, and so that something ha- happens where I can have some type of peace of mind on earth. But the fact of the matter is, if, if the word is true and we know it is, the Bible, that this earth isn't going to last forever. And if you haven't already, you're going to get to a point in your life where you start to evaluate this stuff. I've never seen anybody at the end of their life look back and all they want to talk about is their possessions and all they want to talk about is the things that they accomplished on earth. I've been, I've been a part of so many families when they, they sit down and, and someone's on their deathbed and you know what they begin, to, they begin to talk about? You know the things that really matter at that point? Is did I do something of lasting significance that is going to pour into somebody else that's going to help them? That's what it is. You have a a profound need for significance in your life, not just for success. But uh, let me clarify that because I I need you to hear me. You have a profound need to know that something in your life that you're doing has significance beyond this life. It happens to the best of people. I, I know somebody who in the last couple of years, all they thought about was money. Selfish, self centered cutting out parts of their own family to ensure that they lasted and what they had was there. And, and a hard heart laying on their deathbed. A minister goes to this, this person and they begin to, to weep 
wanting to know if, if God could even save them, wanting to know if, if, if somehow what they did could be reversed, wanting to know that could they do anything with their last breath to make some type of lasting significance into the next life. You may not feel it right now because our earth is, is fleshly and we have things around us. We see, we feel, we touch. But it's amazing that when we begin to think about the end of our life, and I know nobody wants to do that because it's weird. We don't want to think about dying. We don't want to think about the end of our life. But it's amazing to me that when you begin to think about the end of your life, it changes drastically the way you begin to live in the present. It does. And Jesus understood this, and that's why the very last thing that he said before he left, he was looking at his followers, and this is what he says in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. He said, listen, so go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've taught you, and I will be with you always. Listen to this, until the end of this age. He was telling them, listen, there's coming a day when this age is going to be over you got to do something that means something so that when this life is over, it carries significance into the next. What are you doing to make sure that you're helping yourself and helping somebody else make a significant difference that carries into the next life? And Solomon was the wisest man in the entire world, the richest man. He had all the money and the smarts to do it. He began to realize this truth. So we should probably listen. We should probably take notice. You have this, this deep significance. And you have a deep need to recognize it. You have this deep need to, to recognize the significance in your life it has nothing to do with the earthly success, but it has everything to do with what's happening in this life to make sure that you and the people you love get to the next one. And, and, and end up in a place that God designed for you. Did you know that, that 33 people this year so far have said yes to Jesus Christ as a part of the Bridge Goldsboro? That we know of. And the question I have for you today is what are you doing to help reach more? Because more so than just a connect card, guys, our lives are supposed to be filling up with Christ to the point that when we live and when we make decisions, when we make conversation, that all people see and hear is Christ. There, there was a song one time I heard it said, I want to be mistaken for Jesus. I want people to look at me and go, man, I thought you were Jesus. I'm sorry, you know? And it's kind of funny to think about that, but our lives should be such that when, when people lay, uh, when people see us, when people hear us, we should be mistaken for Christ because we're so in tune with what he's doing. I can sit up here and I, I can talk to you guys and I can preach and I can get things done around the church building and we can have meetings and, and we can strategize and we can plan, but you know what? At the end of the day, I'm a man with flesh and blood and when I lay my head down at night, what gets me going, what, what, what fulfills my deepest need is not that I have this meeting, not that, that I make sure I, I had this checkoff list done. Those things are important, and we get things done around here. There, there's good disciplines that you have to have in life, but the thing that fulfills me the most, the reason I can lay my head down at night is to know that outside of being a pastor, I'm a man that deeply loves Jesus Christ, and I want something inside of me to, that, to pour out into you that when you see me, you see Jesus Christ, and you're motivated on some type of level to say yes to him, motivated on some type of level to surrender another part of your life to him, motivated on some level that when you know this life is done, you know that you have a home in heaven, that something in your life is being done, and, and, and it's fulfilling a deep part of you to, to insignificant so that you know when you leave here, you're going to heaven. 
that's, what, that's the reason I can lay my head down at night and, and be fulfilled. And I'm asking you the question, what are you looking for when it comes to fulfilling that need of significance in you? If it's earthly success, I'm telling you, you're going to be limited. And you, just like many who have gone before you, will get to the end of your life and you'll begin to reevaluate it then. My question to you is, will you see the end of your life now and make it change how you live today? The church is designed, God's word is designed to meet your need of significance. So real fast, I just want to talk about them again. We have a need for support. We have a need for stability. We have a need for self-expression. And we have a need for significance. And every single one of those deep-seated needs is met in and through the way the church is supposed to be structured. So the stereotype of church being boring, church being irrelevant, maybe it's that you haven't recognized what your needs really are. And you haven't connected to the church in a deep enough way where those needs are actually being met. And my challenge for you today as we walk out of here is just to take a self-inventory and figure out which, which group are you in. Are, are you in group one that would say, you know what, I, I know I have these needs and I am all in. I recognize that the church is relevant and part of my life and it's put there to fulfill those needs. And I am, I am fulfilling those needs inside of me in and through Jesus Christ, through his word and through the body of Christ, the church. And then the, the next group, and, and again, there's no condemnation here, but maybe you would say, I'm on the fence with that. You know, I, I like the songs we sing. I love the church services. I'm okay with that pastor guy. But I just, I don't necessarily see how the church is relevant to my real life. And, and if that's you, just be honest with yourself and say, yes, that's where I land. And my prayer and my hope is that you begin to recognize what your deepest needs are. Not your needs on the surface, not your fleshly needs, but your deepest spiritual needs and get in tune with those and learn to truly seek what really fills them. Because you know what? Christian, not Christian, baby Christian, adult Christian, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all share the same spiritual needs. And these are it. And my prayer is that we'll, we'll truly learn to seek what, what fills them. Maybe you've come to the conclusion today that your deepest need right now isn't something on this earth, but your deepest need is a relationship with Jesus Christ because without him, no other need will be met. The Bible says that we have everything in him and through him and by him and all things hold together because Jesus Christ, your earthly life is gonna hold together because of what Jesus Christ did for you. And long after this life is over, there's an eternity waiting for you. And I'm gonna be honest with you, it could be heaven or it could be hell. And God gives us that choice, not because he's a God that wants to send us to hell, but he's a God who loves us so much, he will not violate uh, your ability to choose. He wants you to choose him, and he paved the way for you to be able to do that, and he wants to be with you forever, and he made a huge sacrifice to make sure that happens, and he lays that choice at your feet and says, will you choose me? And maybe that's a choice that you know you need to make today. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that, to make the most significant decision that you'll ever make in this life. And Jesus said, when you do, I will be with you even to the end of this age, and I will carry you on into the next one. Would you be bold enough? For some of you, you need to make that decision today. Would you make it today? Would you pray with me? If that's you, I just want you to pray a prayer like this. God, I need you. I need you, God. If I could fix my life, I would have done it already. If I could fulfill all the needs, the, the deep-seated needs in my life, I would have done it already. There is a God-shaped void inside of me that I know only you can fill. And today I say yes to you. I say yes to Jesus Christ, your son, who came to this earth and I believe died for me. 
who shed his blood to pay a sin debt that I could not pay. I still can't pay it. I'll never be able to pay it, but he paid it. I believe he really died. I believe you really rose him from the grave through your power. And I believe he's alive today. And I invite him into my life as Savior. And I also invite him into my life as Lord. To have the authority in my life. Not just to get me to heaven, but to have the authority in my life today. I relinquish my right to make decisions. I, I give him the authority in my life. I don't, I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I know this. I'm going to wake up every day and aim my heart at him. And God, I know when I do that, I'm going to end up right where I need to end up, exactly the times that I need to end up there. In Jesus' name. God, for everybody else in the room today, everybody listening online, those who uh, maybe have already crossed that line of faith, Lord, I pray that we begin to truly understand where our needs are really met. And, and I pray, God, that you would keep us from trying to satisfy those needs in other areas. Because it, it's a fallacy to think that we have eternal needs and we can satisfy them with temporal solutions. But they feel good at the time and, and to our flesh. And so, Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you begin to open our eyes to see what it is we're really doing and, and where the solution really lies. My, my prayer is that we would, we, we would be a people that are listening to you, Holy Spirit. Because you love us and you're here to help us. And it's hard at times because we're human. But you understand that Hebrews says that, Jesus, you went through everything that we went through yet didn't sin. So you know the temptation. You're the part of the Godhead that looks at all of us and says, I, I get it. I understand. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to, to know that you get it. That you're, you're not afar off. And help us to say, yes to you. Help us to be quick to listen to your voice and quick to obey your word and look to you to satisfy these needs that we have deep in us, to look to the church, to look to your word. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen together as a church? Amen. Can we just give it up for everyone who said yes to Jesus Christ today? Look at me real fast. If you said yes to Jesus Christ today, I want you to take a next step. I want to challenge you. Don't let today, your starting place, be your finish line as well. There's a connect card in front of you. I want, to take, I want you to take it, and there's a place on there that says, I prayed to receive Christ. I want you to check that box, and here's the reason why. You were never meant to walk this journey alone, but the church was made to fulfill needs inside of you, and part of that need as a new Christian today is to surround yourself with the church and gain support. And so I just want you to do that. We want to follow up with you and give you some potential next steps. Those will be up to you, but we want to do our part. We want to come around you. We want to support you. We want to pray for you. And so be bold. Take that next step. Check, I prayed to receive Christ on that Connect card. Fill it out and drop it off with the ushers on, on the way out. Uh, maybe you're here today and, and you're, you've been sitting here for a while and maybe this has sparked something in you and you say, I want to go deeper. How do I go deeper? How do I not just come to church services? Use that Connect card that's in front of you. Uh, it's not just an information gathering for us. It's a resource to you. There's boxes you can check on there. Hey, I'm interested in how to serve here. I'm interested in bridge groups. I'm interested in taking my next step, whatever that is for you. Maybe it's baptism or an ownership class, and, and you want to figure out how to go deeper. That's, that Connect card is for that. Um, one of my favorite parts of that Connect card is the, is the prayer request box on the back there. Uh, we understand that prayer is important. I don't know where I'd be without people praying for me. And I want you to know that we will pray for you. 
you, uh, whatever it is you're going through in life, whatever needs you have, if you want to be specific or you want to be vague, if you want to put your name or not, um, that's up to you. But I want you to know that we will pray for you this week. And we, we work hard around here to make sure that we have systems in place to make sure that these requests get out to our prayer teams and to our senior leadership team. And we take time each week at our meetings to make sure that we're praying for your needs. So use that Connect card, guys. And then as you walk out today, you can drop them off. I love you. I hope this has been good to you today. Uh, I want you to go this week and be the church. Know where your supply is. And I can't wait to see you next week. Talk to you guys later. Love you.